A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the last laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and before we get back into the swing of things after the holiday season, I wanted to revisit one of my absolute favorite episodes from this past year with the always hilarious Nicole Byer. When I spoke to Nicole last summer, she had just scored her second Emmy nomination for hosting the Netflix reality show Nailed It. As she accurately predicted, she lost that award for the second year in a row to RuPaul. Now, Nicole is out with her first big hour-long stand-up special on Netflix called BBW, which of course stands for Big Beautiful Weirdo, and can also be seen in the new sitcom Grand Crew, which officially premieres on NBC Tuesday, January 4th. Oh, and she was just featured on our annual Funniest Performances episode, so you know, that's a pretty big deal as well. Whether you missed this episode the first time around or just want to spend some more time in her infectiously funny presence, I hope you enjoy this one. Here's my conversation with Nicole Byer. But truly, I apologize for keeping you waiting. Well, I know you have a lot of podcasts, so. <laughs> Too <sure> many. <laughs> and I have a, a job right now where I'm like pretty heavy in the first three episodes. So I have been working from like six to seven or eight or whatever. So I don't have time during the week to record them. So I'm yeah, like, they're I all know, on the weekend. Crazy. Yes. But I like being busy. <laughs> this is really a, a confirmation that you're the the busiest, you know, <laughs> hardest working uh, person in comedy. Uh, you know, I try. <laughs> You've been shooting that NBC show? Is that what you're working yes, on? Yes, Grand Crew. And it's one of those things where I'm like, these fucking scripts are so funny. I think everyone who's been cast is really funny. I think our writers are great. Everyone, like the camera operators are from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so I know them a little. Like, I love everybody involved. And I'm like, oh, my God, am I in a vacuum? We're going to see cuts and we're going to be like, this wasn't as funny as we thought it was. But I thought the pilot was funny. So I think it's going to be good. I'm really excited about it. What's the vibe of the show? What's what's it about? The vibe of the show is it is like living single or friends set in a wine bar. And um, me and uh, Echo Kellum play brother and sister. And then we have Carl Tart, Aaron Jennings, and Justin Cunningham, who are our friends. And then Gracie Mercedes was just added as uh, like one of our new friends. And yeah, and then there's just like a bunch of people who come in and out. And it's funny. It's really fucking funny. That's awesome. Yeah, um, I'm excited. Yeah. Well, uh, congrats on the Emmy nomination for Nailed It. Thank I mean, you. this is your second in that category. Is that right? You better believe she's a two-time <laughs> Emmy nominee. It's not Actually, a fluke. three-time now because I'm an EP on the show. <laughs> right, right. So, um, um, but this is number two in the in the host category, yes. which is a big deal, I know. And um, yeah, you were the you were the first black woman uh, nominated in this category. Right? I know. That was a, that Can was a you big deal. Even. <laughs> and now you have two. Um, and I know I was looking at the category and it looks like RuPaul has won the last five times. So I wanted to give you the opportunity now. Is there any, do you want to like take down RuPaul in any way to help here's, your chances? Or Here's the thing. RuPaul is one of the most generous, <laughs> wonderful, magical people I've ever met in my life. Like RuPaul has this energy and this aura 
and uh doesn't have to be nice to you know me or the guest judges rupaul's rupaul rupaul's a legend iconic whatever but like <laughs> rupaul makes time to be like thank you for coming you look beautiful i like this da, 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 da. she like makes me feel good uh she's also so funny rupaul will win this year and that's okay because <laughs> i like being on drag race <laughs> yeah there's a lot of like crossover you're on drag race you had the queer eye guys on on nailed it right yes uh-huh yeah that was super fun yeah, it's like a big family. I love Nailed It. It's just, it's fun. It's a fun show to do. Yeah. Um, so I would love to go back to the beginning of the whole experience for you, because now it's been like three years, five seasons. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, 46 episodes, I think. Um, it's just a, it's a true phenomenon. And I, I'm wondering what you expected when you signed on to do this in the first place. I mean, you can't have expected that it would be what it is. I mean, I had no fucking clue (laughs) so i took this meeting with the production company magical elves and they truly just showed me um like a concept sheet it was just like here what like we found these pinterests where people would make things that they saw online and it would be a disaster so we want people to do that and i was like okay that makes sense and like and we want you to host it and i was like you lost me i i don't (laughs) i don't host i've never really like I've never hosted a cooking show before. And I was like, and I don't know anything about cooking. And they're like, that's okay. That's fine. I said, all right, I think. And then my manager and I talked about it, my manager at the time. And he was like, well, it's like a go. He's like, it's on a pilot. You don't have to wait for an answer. He's like, it's a go. And it's on Netflix. And he's like, you know, if it does well, people will see it and you'll have more exposure. And I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, it's a global platform. Why not be in the Netflix family? And I was like, okay, I'll do it. So signed on to do it. And then I got to set the first day or they had me come in the day before. So I was like me, I don't know if Jacques was there. He might've been there. No, Jacques was not there. So it was me, Wes, um, our director, and a produce two producers and they're like okay uh you stand here you'll say your lines you move here you say your lines you'll sit behind the desk and watch them cook blah, blah, blah. and i was like okay but like how does one host uh how would what happens uh excuse me and then nobody told me and i was like okay and the night before i was like trying to memorize the lines but i'd also ask for a prompter which is not how people host usually usually they're fed lines in their ear they wear an earpiece and people feed them lines and I was like, I can't do that because it's essentially a line read. So it's like, if you say, the sky is blue, I'll go, the sky is blue, as opposed to reading it. And I could go, the sky is blue, you know, and make my own choices. So like, yeah. And I really wanted to keep it as me as possible. Cause I don't know. I, I like to clown. I like to have fun. Like I just, you know, want to keep the options open. And then we had to figure out where to put the prompter. And then they were like, all right, action. And I was like, uh, this? And they're like, okay, how about you do it uh, a little less? And I was like, okay. So I would do what I wanted to do. They would ask me to bring it down a little bit. And then the third take would just be like a fun take. And after I saw the first season, I was like, oh, they took a lot of the fun takes. <laughs> so then I was like, okay, the tone of the show is like, Nicole gets to be pretty wacky and that's fine by me. I love, I love to giggle. And then if somebody else giggles, what a bonus. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like your, your reactions to eating things have become kind of a a meme in themselves. And there's, (laughs) I don't know, have you seen the, uh, the compilations on YouTube or anything where there's all of your, all of your reactions? Yeah. So cool. (laughs) No, I haven't seen them. Oh no. Uh oh. Uh oh. Oh no. Uh oh. Uh oh. (laughs) Uh oh. 
No, really? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I was gonna be nice. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> Something was crunching in here. <laughs> oh, it went far to the dough. I'm so sorry. Spit it out. There's literal garbage. Oh, what a bad choice it was to eat that apple with the grout on it. Nicole? Give a little. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was bad. Yeah, I had an acting teacher back in the day who told me I would never have a career because my face was too expressive. So <laughs> that's, ha, a weird, ha, that's a weird note. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, my face is I do like I'm a little cartoon like I know I do make like a lot of strange faces, but I don't know. For me, that's fun. I like that. I think it's funny. Yeah, um, it's interesting yeah. that you said that you didn't you know, you had no experience in food tv you're cooking and, and that kind of thing and i wonder if that's part of why they wanted you is because you were kind of coming from the outside because it's not a show about people who are good at cooking particularly mm -hmm. i do think that is an aspect because it's like we have these people who don't know how to cook a host who doesn't really know how to host <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's just this like fun thing and um oh boy sylvia weinstock one of her episodes uh, she had stuff to do in the prompter and I never know what the producers tell our guest judge before they come on, but it was so funny. And I was like, Sylvia, you have to say what's in the prompter. And she's like, what, what? And then they left that in. And I just thought that was such a fun choice. Yeah. And you do get to do a lot of improv in the show as well, in a sense, because you're kind of just reacting to things that are happening. Um, mm -hmm. is that part of what appealed to you too about it? Well, I didn't know I was going to be doing all that. Like I didn't know that I was going to be watching the people bake, um, so the first day is when I was like, I guess like the first week I was just trying to like, I didn't know. And you don't really get feedback on reality stuff like you do in scripted stuff. Cause you know, you hear cut, a director comes out and goes, that was good. Try it this way. Or like, ah, I don't think we got it. What if we did it this way? This is just like a camera is rolling and I'm like, is it, is anything good? <laughs> help, <laughs> help. So then, you know, I just, instead of getting in my head, I would just do things like, um, you know, go in the pantry or like go bother, bother a contestant or, you know, I would just try things out. And then the more I tried things out, the more they'd be talking in my ear being like, oh, do that again. Or, oh, do this. And I'm like, okay, all right. So yeah, things just kind of happened out of just trying. Yeah, I've I've heard you talk before about the, you know, the long hours of shooting and how <laughs> you're there for for many many hours in a day uh -huh. and then it's kind of, there's a kind of grueling aspect of it. On the flip side, it's something that brings people so much joy, clearly, and they mm -hmm. and you know, enjoy watching you and watching the show. Is it joyful for you doing it or do you kind of have to work to make it fun? I did have a friend who was a guest judge and she was like, Jesus, Nicole, <laughs> you are on from beginning to end. Like, yeah, I mean, she's it does like, seem you tough. do a lot of work. And I was like, oh, I guess it is a lot of work. But like, I would hate for someone to get cast on the show as a contestant who's a fan of the show, come on the show and I'm like half-assing it and like they're not getting the full experience that they thought it was going to be. So yeah, I, I turn it on a lot and I try to like keep it fun, keep it fresh, keep it moving um, because I want them to be happy. And then other people's happiness in turn turns me happy. But it is exhausting. Like I am so tired. Yeah. <laughs> At the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. 
Um, it seems like the kind of show that that could just run forever. Um, and now there's like international versions of it and stuff. Is it the kind of thing where you're just kind of like in for as long as they're willing to make this? Or do you feel like there, there will become a time where you're like, you know what, I, I think the nailed it part of my my story is over. I love being employed. I love cashing a check. Uh, no, <laughs> I guess it's a, reli- I mean, it's a reliable no. <laughs> gig, right? Yeah, but jokes aside, I'll do it for as long as they have me. It is it is nice that people like the show. It's nice that like the, the, the like I was nominated for a fucking Emmy. Like that's so wild. That's cool. It's so it's just nice. It's hard to articulate how cool it feels to bring so many people joy especially like with like the last 18 months or whatever, like year and a half, like it's been like shitty. Like a lot of people have had a lot of shit go down and I've been like very fortunate and privileged that like I have podcasts that I can still, you know, do. And we figured out how to shoot things through the pandemic, but like people who don't have that option can turn on the TV and for 30 minutes, just like kind of be okay and like laugh. So like that feels really fucking good. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about comedy because this is a fundamentally a comedy podcast and I'm just a big fan of your uh, stand up and everything that you do. Thank you. Um, there is this definite divide in some ways between your persona on Nailed It and your what you do on stage. Um, <laughs> and I think, you know, the, especially in the content and the kind of stuff that you talk about, is it is the show, the show's become very family friendly. Is it more family friendly than you would have uh, you know, made it if it was up to you? Or how do you feel about that? I mean, we, you could have cut the show or, and still can cut it like three different ways. You can cut it very family friendly. You can cut it with like double entendres, a little, a little nasty. And then you can have a full blown blue cut where like I am off the rails. Just because you can't, just because you can't help yourself to put that stuff in or (laughs) the way I work is I, I mean, me personally, I like blue humor. I like going dirty. I like shocking. Like when I'm on, when I'm doing stand up, I have one joke where after the laugh like dissipates, there's usually like a very low voice in the crowd of a man who goes, Jesus Christ. And I love it. Like, <laughs> is there, is there a it. specific joke you're thinking of when you, when you say that? Yeah. But I don't want to give away the punchline. Oh. <laughs> but, um, it like, and when that happens, I'm like, I've done my job. Like I, that's, that's what I want because it's like, it makes you think. And it's also a shocking joke. So like the way I work is naturally like, I go to a hundred. So I'll say it. And then I'll be like, let me give you something you can use. And then I work my way down to like a, like an edible part of it that like they can actually use in the cut. Um, and now that more people know about the show, I do try to not go as hard and as blue because I would hate for some grandma to come on the show and be like, my child loves this dirty, nasty, filthy woman, (laughs) you know? So it is a hard balance to be like, how me do I actually get to be as opposed to like, how do I be me and give the show what they want? Because yeah, like my comedy is pretty, it's pretty raunchy. I wish Tinder had a rating system, kind of like Yelp, you know? So you can read five-star reviews before you go out with a dude. Be like, David, 29, employed, big dick, doesn't eat pussy, next! Because the only way to find out that David doesn't eat pussy is when you're laying in bed with David and he's not eating your pussy! In this weird way, and I don't know if you've had this, heard this comparison before, it reminded me of what happened with Bob Saget. Yeah, for a while I was calling myself the Bob Saget of this generation. <laughs> okay, so that's not an original thought that I had. But 
<laughs> there is that thing of so he would you know he was on Full House and then he would people would come to his show his stand up show you know after seeing him on Full House and kind of expect something totally different from what they got and he's a very you know dirty you know mm-hmm. comedian as well so what has that been like for you where you're getting all this newfound fame from Nailed It people mm-hmm. might be coming to your shows expecting one thing and and getting another is that something that you've had to deal with. Um, a little. And people really love to yell nailed it at me, like at punchlines and stuff, or like when I walked on stage. So then I started my shows by like letting them yell nailed it at me. Uh, but now I've gotten to a point where like I don't have to do that. Like, uh, I think the show's been on long enough that like people are okay not yelling it at me. <laughs> and you're, and you're okay with them not yelling it at you. <laughs> well, okay. So John Cena, when we were shooting Wipeout, I was lamenting about how people yelled nailed it at me. And then he was like, well, someone, someone in the parking lot was singing my uh, intro song to me. And I was like, doesn't that get old? And he was like, no, they don't know anything about me. That's the thing they enjoy about me. They're trying to connect with me. And I was like, oh my God, people are just trying to connect with me. And I'm just like getting annoyed. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, they don't know anything about me. That's the one, that's what they know. So now it doesn't bother me. Now I'm like, you can yell it all you want. I don't, also, like, I don't hear it anymore. I'm just like, wait, what did you say? Uh-oh, what was the question you asked? Well, just that experience of people coming to your oh, show expecting yeah. one thing and, and getting yeah. something else. So, like, during meet and greets, sometimes people would be like, wow, you are way raunchier than I thought you were going to be. And I was like, oh, do you know me from Nailed It? And they're like, yes. And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry, but did you have fun? And they're like, yeah, the, like, a lot of fun. And then a lot of men like to say, wow, you're actually pretty funny. You should keep doing this. And I'm like, thanks, sir. <laughs> I'll be sure to keep doing comedy. <laughs> so supportive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming up. Nicole talks about what it was like to participate in SNL's super secret search for a black female cast member in 2013, and later how she ended up making Tina Fey laugh in her first ever role on TV. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. In addition to Nicole Byer, we have had so many UCB alums on this show, including Nick Kroll, Abby Jacobson, Matt Walsh, and more. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to those episodes and everything else from our free archive, and you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Nicole Byer. 
So going back a bit to the, you know, how you got started in this in the first place, um, how did you get into comedy? Did you start with stand-up or you started with uh, improv? Or I started with improv. So I went to acting school in New York City and graduated and was auditioning and not like just doing bad, like just really fucking not, not thriving. And so I stopped auditioning because I was like, I'm not good at this. I don't know how to do this. And I literally Googled, what do actors do when they don't act? And one of the <laughs> things that came up was improv. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do improv. Yeah. So then I started didn't say wait pl- tables or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, truly. Like the first Google thing that came up was improv. And I signed up for classes at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater that is now no more in New York. I know, sad. Uh, which is devastating. And just started doing that. And my first class, my teacher was this woman, Sylvia Ozels, and she was just like, you're very funny. She's like, I think you should keep doing this. And I was like, okay. And sometimes you just need that encouragement. You just need someone who's like been around to be like, you're good and you can be better. So I just really concentrated on like being funny. And then I met my, one of my best friends, Sashir Zameda there, who I collaborate with a lot. And then things just kind of blossomed from there. And then I started doing stand up after I was on the show called Girl Code because a lot of college age women liked the show and wanted me to like come to their colleges to do stand up. And I was like, I can do characters and I can do improv. My manager at the time was like, you're leaving money on the table if you don't learn how to just do stand-up. He's like, frame your characters in a way that it's like a stand-up joke. And I was like, okay. So then I learned how to do stand-up in a very backwards way. Mm-hmm. I, I was curious, because um, I know you've worked with Sashir a lot, um, and she was had this very odd experience, I'm not sure was great for her, where she became the first uh, SNL you know, cast member, black woman in like seven years since Maya Rudolph mm-hmm. or something. And it came out of that whole controversy and the auditions that they had. And I know you were part of that, right? That you you auditioned for the show during that time where they were like all of a sudden searching for a, a black woman, which was an odd thing to do in a way. Instead yeah. of just like searching for them the way they search for anybody. Yeah, it is weird to show up to a segregated uh, audition. <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind um, of like a secret at the time and then it came out and it was, uh, what was your experience with that? I mean, it was the second time. Well, I auditioned for the show a year. They didn't hire anybody. And then I did a showcase that year at the Groundlings. And I had to go first. And I hate biting the bullet. But like somebody has to go first. And then I was like, well, whatever. You like you can set the stage and everyone has to be better than you. But all in all, like I I love performing. I like doing characters. I had a good time. I'm always I'm always having having a very nice time. (laughs) And then they hired my best friend, which was like best case scenario. I was like, if you're going to hire a black woman, yeah, I'm glad it was my best fucking friend. And I think she's the funniest, one most wonderful, beautiful person in the world. Um, yeah, I truly love her. And I'm, I'm so proud that like she's done so much since the show. So was there a time in that, in that period where you kind of had to decide you were going to focus more on stand-up or focus more on improv? Or did you always kind of do all of it? Or how did you think about that? I did all of it. I was on like house teams at UCB for like a long, long time doing um, Herald Night, which is our signature form. If you're a comedy nerd, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I would like on the weekends tour, and then during the week I would like do my improv shows, and then I would also be doing stand up shows because I realized that I had a grace period. So like the first year I was doing stand up, I was like, okay, I don't know when the grace period is going to be done. But I'm on TV. People like me because I'm on TV. You almost get like a free pass. But then I would do shows at like, you know, the improv or like Meltdown 
or like bar shows. And those people didn't really know me from TV. Like maybe three people in the crowd knew me, but like most people didn't. And I was like, if I can make people who don't know me laugh, it's funny. So I would take things I was doing at these colleges, bring them to these other shows. Some of it would work, some of it wouldn't. And then I would like retool it. So I was always constantly trying to like work jokes that worked, but then didn't work. If that makes any sense. Cause I was working backwards but now I understand the mechanics of a joke and how I tell jokes. So now I love stand-up. But also I love improv. And I haven't done it in so long because, you know, the pandemic said, you can't be together. Yeah, it's more of a solo solo art form thrive in, uh, yeah. in the pandemic. Yeah. Do you feel like you had a, a big break in a way? Was it Girl Code or was it, um, you know, when you got your own show? Or, or what did you feel like was the big turning point in your career? I don't know. Like Girl Code definitely opened some doors for me. Then my show was, uh, no, it wasn't, uh, you know, I don't think it was properly promoted. So yeah. I don't think very, so very many loose, people loosely saw exactly it. Nicole. exactly Nicole. Which I still am very proud of. And I think it's very good. And I think it's very funny. It's very cartoon. Like we were, it's, it's pretty broad. And that's, I was like, let's fucking, let's be cartoon. Let's have fun. I'm proud of it. Also, I learned how to like lead a show. And I learned so much on it that like, it's almost more invaluable to have done it than people watching it. If that makes any sense. It's like, yeah, yeah I wish more eyeballs your had been on it. experience doing yeah. it. Yeah. But I learned so much. Yeah. Are you quitting? Oh God, no, but I'm probably going to book a really cool acting job real soon. Now help me learn my lines. Who am I again? You're King, my pimp. What's a pimp? Uh, a really mean boss. Now, uh, what's the line? Listen, King, you can't be taking all my money. I earned that on my back. Listen, King, you can't be taking my money. I earned that on my back. I don't care. When you work for King, you get him his money. You know I'm a crazy ass. I can't say that word. Why well, I got in trouble at school for saying that. As he very well should have. But listen, we're saying it for a very important reason today. My mom says I should never say the N-word for any reason. Okay, listen, Troy. Black people can say that word, and Taiwanese people are the black people of Asia. We are? Yeah, sure. Plus, we're in a car. Nobody can hear us. All right, let's try it again. And remember, you're a very mean boss. Okay. Listen, King! You can't be taking my money! I but I guess I think Nailed It is the one that really put me in people's homes where like I just did a voice on Lin-Manuel's new movie Vivo and people were tweeting at me. They were like, yeah, my kid was like, that's Nicole Byer. And that's really <laughs> fucking cool. Yeah, like they <laughs> like, recognize your voice. Yeah, that's so cool. So yeah, I do think Nailed It has like been a huge turning point in uh, my career. Uh, I get called in for things where the casting director is like, my kid loves you. And I'm like, I wonder if I was pitched for this or they just called me in to tell me that, you know? But yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride, but uh, it's just been fun. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the the exposure that Netflix gets you, you know, worldwide and everything. You also had your half hour special with them. Was that before? Was that it was like right right around the same time that Nailed It started that you did the Comedians of the World? Comedians uh, of the World. We shot in Montreal in 2018. No. Wait, 2020 is a wash. But I don't. I think it came out uh, January 2019, I think. Okay. So I think we shot it the summer of 2018. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, and I don't remember when Nailed It came out. Man, the timeline's all fucked up in my <laughs> head. But yeah, I, I was already doing Nailed It when I had the half hour. But yeah, the half hour, like, it was, I was so grateful that they let me do that. Like, it was very fucking cool that, like, they picked four people and I was one of the four. Yeah. And that was, you know, obviously another 
way that I think you've reached a lot of people with your standup. And you you do something in that special, which I know you've talked about a little before, but you you introduce yourself with these uh, you know jokes about being fat, and you talk <laughs> about how you the way the audience responds to it, um, and you kind of do that up front uh, and then spend a good part of the special talking about it. But was that a deliberate decision that you wanted to kind of introduce yourself in that way to this big audience on Netflix? Yes. I guess I had never seen somebody do that many fat jokes. I've seen people <laughs> do fat jokes and I've seen people do fat jokes where they're in on the joke and it's not super self-deprecating. Like Monique. Monique is like quintessential. Like I'm fucking beautiful. Uh, yes, you're looking at me because I'm, I'm everything. Da, da, da. Uh, but I was just like, I don't know if I've seen people do it the way I've done it. Not that I'm like revolutionary or like a pioneer or anything. I just think I had like a fun, different take on some fat jokes. And also I was like, I don't really want to do fat jokes after this. Like, I just want to like blow out every idea I have about it and just put it out there. So it's like, Oh, if someone has something to say about it, it's like, Oh, just watch that. Like I have a lot of thoughts on it. <laughs> you just watch that one. I don't know. It was one of those things where as I was like, compiling my jokes i was like i think these are the strongest ones um they're the ones i love the most are the ones i'm ready to retire yeah it was like a very pointed thing that people were like are you sure and i was like yes <laughs> who who was telling you who was asking are you sure people around you my or? agent my agent was like are you sure you really want to do 13 minutes of fat material and you only have a half hour and i was like <laughs> yes yes i do so i tell a lot of fat jokes and there's always someone in the audience who's like nicole you're not fat, girl, no! You're beautiful! Bitch, I know! Look at this! Thank you! Also, being fat and being beautiful are not mutually exclusive. They aren't, thank you, yes. You could be fat and beautiful or thin and look like Kellyanne Conway. <laughs> Sometimes people go, oh, I'm like, look at her again. <laughs> so I'll just say it for you guys. I'm a fat lady. And I just want you guys to know that I know that you know. And there's always someone who feels bad for me who's like, oh, no, she knows. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I'm okay with it. I'm a happy fat lady. Truly, I will steal your dinner, lie about it, and take you out to a second dinner. Is it something that you've stopped talking about on stage since then? Yeah. Oh, also, like, I wanted to get it all out because when you do say you're fat on stage, people go, no. And I say in the special, it's like, you're not fat, you're beautiful. And I had a fat joke in my act currently that I was like, I'm just not even going to do it because people get so tight about it. But I'm like, if I'm on stage saying it, I don't want you to feel bad. That's literally insane that I left my house, got in my car, got on a plane, landed, went to a hotel, <laughs> got on stage and was like, please feel bad for me. No, <laughs> no, it's weird. It's, it's also weird that people feel bad that I'm fat and that I know it. <laughs> Do you feel like do you feel like the perception about this stuff has changed over the, you know, past decade or however long no. you've been doing comedy? No. No. I I think people 
who don't like you want to go, you're fat and then want to hurt your feelings. And I'm like, you don't hurt my feet. Like I live in the body. I see it all the time. You know, it's sometimes I pass a mirror and go, Ooh, bigger than I thought, but like, who cares? <laughs> like, I don't give a shit. Um, and then people who like you are like, no, don't be mean to yourself. So honestly, I think that's truly why I put it all in there because I, I'm telling, I don't have to do the disclaimer anymore. So I did the disclaimer. I did the jokes. It's done. You, and then instead of like anytime I, do a set where I have a fat joke, I have to do the disclaimer. It's like, no. So it's like, I did the disclaimer. So by like minute five, hopefully you're just laughing and that these are just jokes to you and you don't have the thing in your brain where you're like, but I want to tell her that she's so beautiful. It's annoying. <laughs> I will say, you know, I follow you on Instagram and you have a, a ton of followers there and you post, you know, photos in bikinis and photos doing pole dancing and all that, you know, great stuff. And the comments are like overwhelmingly supportive and, and positive does it bother you in any way the way like because i mean it's a similar kind of thing where people are saying you're beautiful so how do you react to that i guess i don't really care <laughs> about the positive comments because it feels disingenuous it feels like oh my god she really put all that fat out there i better tell her she's the beautiful and brave and it's like i don't care like i i literally you know, I have days where I'm like, I don't like my body, but like for the most part, I'm like, it's what I'm in and I'm going to hate it. Like that seems exhausting. I don't care. It's, I like when people go, Oh my God, strong pull. Cause then I get to say the least impressive thing is the pull standing there. The <laughs> most impressive thing is somebody this big climbing up it because nine times out of 10, they'll go, Oh yeah, you're right. Cause it's like, <laughs> I am right. Like I would rather people go, it is, you are strong. And like, you're, this is impressive. And I'm like, yes. As opposed to like, Oh my God, queen work. And it's like, no, I'm not a queen. I'm a lady in a hat trying to climb up a ball. <laughs> I know, I know for me, if I, whether it's off the comments, reviews on this podcast or on an article that I write or something, you know, there could be a hundred positive ones, but I'll fixate on the one uh -huh. negative one. Is that something that, that you've experienced too, where you kind of, uh, do the negative, yeah. do the trolls and the haters still bother you? Or have you been able to kind of get don't past that? bother me in a way where like I think about it. But I will comment back to like someone who's being mean more than I'll comment back to someone yeah. being nice. <laughs> because I feel like the person being mean to me needs something from me more than someone being nice. The person being nice is getting what they need from me. They're listening to my podcast. They're watching my stuff. They're consuming my shit. And they like it. And they like me. The person who typed my name into Instagram, the person who figured out which picture they want to click on to say something rude and nasty, they like they took time to do that. So like they want a response. So I'll say thank you. A uh, good thing you told me, or like whatever. <laughs> yeah. But like, and I, I don't fight with anybody. But I just I'm like, thank you, thank you for. I hope that I hope you feel better. Um, my favorite thing that ever happened was this person DM'd me, and they're like, I fucking hate you, you fat bitch. You're not fucking talented. Uh, kick rocks, eat dirt, die. And for whatever reason, I was like, hey. I really hope that made you feel better. It's not the kindest thing, but like, I hope you find someone that you like. And then he went, Oh man, I am so sorry. I was having a <laughs> terrible day. God. I really, I shouldn't have said that, you know, keep making people laugh, not me, but keep making people laugh. And that made me laugh so hard. Cause I was like, <laughs> I love that he doubled down that I'm not funny yeah, for him. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but like he was seen, he was heard. And I think he went and had a nice day. Yeah. So I have to say, I was surprised that you haven't had an hour special yet, um, you know, because I think you 
you should have one. Um, and I don't know if that's something that you want or are working on, or is that is that something that you uh, that you would like to do? Oh, absolutely. Um, hopefully, it'll happen soon. Yeah, um, I mean, I think Netflix kind of owes you at this point. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm I have the hour that I'm really proud of and hopefully somebody will let me shoot it at some point. Yeah. Um is it been is it something that you've tried to do in the past and have, have hit roadblocks or is it uh, right just... before the pandemic I had a tape that I was like this is the hour. I think it's solid. Let's send it around and then we started like, you know, getting into talks with different places and then the pandemic hit and then that just like really put it on hold. And then it was like over a year not doing the hour, not do, yeah, like that's telling tough. jokes here and there at like outdoor shows. So then it was just like, all right, well, maybe you do sell this special, but like you're going to have to like figure like when will you rehearse? When, and by rehearse, it's like go do shows and stuff. So, I mean, right now I've just been doing reps, just trying to like figure out what I want it to be like. Because some material is just irrelevant now. <laughs> like, I'm just like, this is, I don't want to talk about this anymore. So, yeah, it's like ebbs and flows and it's changing. And, you know, hopefully I'll get to shoot it one day. Yeah. What's it been like being back out on the road? Because I know you've been traveling a bit um, uh -huh. doing shows. Wild. COVID doesn't fucking exist. I mean, I was in, <laughs> where did I, I was in not Brea, Irvine, which is still California. Drove the two hours to Irvine. And during my first show, this woman was talking, like just screaming something at me in the beginning. And I was like, oh, my God, are you like, you know, chatty because you haven't talked to nobody in a year because you've been inside? And I was like, wait a minute. The pandemic didn't happen down here. And everyone was like, ha, ha, ha. No, it didn't. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and it's so nuts. Like in Houston, there's no pandemic. Portland, they wear masks for a little bit. It was just really interesting. I was like, OK, I, it's, it's weird. It's very weird. In Cleveland, this lady, I like landed. She was like you're in cleveland honey you can take off your mask and i was like i'm in no. cleveland that's why i'm wearing the <laughs> yeah. mask okay i'm not getting fucking cleveland strain of covid no <laughs> is it fun getting back into performing how are you feeling you know going up on stage in terms of good. your material and and how i feel it's going? good um i was like burnt uh, at the end of 2020 like burnt and I had called my agent and I was like, I cannot be on the road every weekend. We got to do every other weekend. Like I'm fucking, I'm, I'm drowning. Like I feel insane. Um, and then the world said, great, you can have a fucking break. You know, the, the whole world will shut down for you. Um, but now I'm getting back out there. Um, I like have the, not the drive, but like I'm having fun. Like I'm having so fun. I did a show in Houston where, um, I was doing, I don't really do crowd work, but I did crowd work for like 15 minutes where like, it was like off the rails in, it was just like such a fun show that I was like, yeah, special for these 200 people. Nobody else will ever see this version of my show again. And I've truly just, yeah. And every, like, I've just been like enjoying the crowd's reactions more as opposed to just bulldozing to get through the material. Cause I'm tired and I want to go back to the hotel. Um, yeah, I've just been like more free playing my shit. It, like I'm having a really good time. Yeah. Is there material that came out of, the you know lockdown or the past year that you that you talk about yeah yeah i have like a solid 15 minutes about covid stuff but i also tr i've tried to like word it in a way where it's evergreen but also i don't i think we're gonna be dealing with this for a couple of years yeah i don't think it's so, going anywhere unfortunately yeah and yeah unfortunately <laughs> um so i know season six of nailed it is coming back in september they announced um is there anything uh did you know that <laughs> i didn't know that it was announced <laughs> 
what can people expect from that? Are you already kind of in, in the works on that? It's already shot. Oh, it's already uh, done. It's already done. Yeah, we did uh, the seasons back to back. You know, get them done. I don't know if they announced any of the guest judges, but we have some really fun guest judges. I think we have like a... I, we did like a, a Black History episode that I pitched and that was... I don't know if they announced that. I don't know if I should say that. Well, that's, I don't that's, know. It's, it's really it fun. It doesn't seem like there's any harm in getting that out there. <laughs> yeah. I, I Yeah, I pitched it and I like had... I was like... Pre, it was pretty heavy handed in that episode. So it was very, it was fun to like be kind of a like in, like an active producer in that episode where like I got to see the cakes and approve the cakes and approve the content and approve the scripts and stuff before we shot. So yeah, that was like that was fun. Cool. So as we get to the end here, uh, we end with a segment called the first laugh, which uh, is kind of like a speed round. So I'm going to go through some questions and hopefully you can can share some stories with us. The answers don't necessarily have to be short, but the the questions are. Okay. So do you remember the first piece of comedy that really made you laugh hard uh, as a kid growing up? Um, something that you really connected with? <sighs> the first p- thing that like made me laugh, Whoopi Goldberg is the first person who made me laugh. So like when I was little, I fucking loved Sister Act. Sister Act was su- like, me too. it was such a funny movie. And by was, it still is. Um, all of her Bart's and Ghost are so funny. And I remember being a little kid, not really understanding the whole premise of Ghost, but I remember her in that pink suit in the in the bank, and I knew Patrick Swayze was a ghost, and he's talking to her in a whisper, and she's like, "What are you whispering?" I always <laughs> I thought that was so funny. I would like rewind it and watch that over and over and over again. I love Whoopi Goldberg. Have you gotten to meet Whoopi Goldberg? Um, briefly. She revived her one-woman show, Whoopi, at the Lyceum Theater in New York. I think it's the Lyceum. And I saw it, loved it, loved her even more, waited outside in the rain for her to come out. And then we took a picture. I don't know if I, the picture is somewhere, uh, but we like took a picture together and I was just, the, this is the most starstruck I've ever been in my life. I, yeah. You have to go on The View. I feel I like that would be a, that would be very exciting. I can't believe I would you haven't love gone. to. But also, <laughs> Whoopi, she always seems a little bit like at the edge, like the edge of her sanity <laughs> on the show. So I'm like, I, I'd like to meet her in like a circumstance a where more she's, chill, uh, yeah, like just chilled out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember about your first time uh, performing on stage? It could be um, in an improv show or a stand up uh-huh. show or, or or anything. I did a lot of like stuff at church, like Easter plays and whatnot. And, you know, killed it, crushed it. But the first time I, like, performed and really, like, was cognizant of what was happening was, uh, I think it was my sophomore year of high school. So many people tried out for the play that the teacher decided to do um, a bunch of short plays by Christopher Durang. And I was in one called DMV Tyrant um, with this guy, Jim Schumacher. And we rehearsed it, rehearsed it, rehearsed it, got so many laughs during rehearsal laughs died down because you're saying the same thing over and over and over again. Everyone's heard the jokes, but then you forget that an audience hasn't heard the jokes or like <laughs> yeah. that wasn't a thing that I knew about or it, it just didn't occur to me. So like the first laugh I got, I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> I did that. I made a whole room of people go, ha tee, and they loved it. They loved me. And like afterwards people were like, you were so funny. My mom was like, my God, I didn't know you could do that. Like, it was just like magical. And I was like, Oh, then I have to do this for the rest of my life. 
Like, I have to. This is incredible. I fucking love this. It's like what I assume heroin is like. <laughs> yeah. Where you're like, oh, I have to feel like that again. It's like, you, like you're chasing the dragon. Like, you're just trying to get more laughs. Mm-hmm. What about the first time you actually did perform on a stand-up stage? Did that go well? Or did it... Uh, w- what was that experience like? The first time I did stand-up did not go well. I did a bunch of dead parent jokes because my parents are dead. But you forget that at like 28, 25, however old I was, not many people share that experience. So you're just like a fucking ghoul on stage (laughs) talking about dead people. I think the first joke I told was, at my age, a lot of people move in with their parents again, but I can't do that because graveyards have a curfew or something <laughs> like that. And I still think that it's funny. That didn't go well. It didn't go well. I think all that's people funny. We're really upset about it. And then I can't remember the other one that I told that was also like a dead parent joke. Um, yeah. So I did like a, like two or three, five, 10 minute spots. And then my first like, Real show was an out like after doing f- like two or three 10 minute spots, I did Rutgers University with Emily Heller, who I think is my comedy fairy godmother. She's incredible. She's so funny. And I said, Emily, you should close because like you're better than me and you've been doing this longer than me. And she was like, no, these people are here to see you. You're on TV. They're going to love you. And I was like, oh, okay. And then she was right. And then I asked her to sit like right in front of the stage. And I was like, just tell, like, I, m- I might ask you what, what, how much time I've done. Cause it didn't occur to me to just record my set. Um, <laughs> or like look at my phone. Maybe I was recording. And I was like, I can't look at it. Um, but I was like, Emily, how much time? She's like, you've done 35. You're doing good. And I was like, okay, thank you. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> And like, that's when I realized I had a grace period when she was like, people will like you because you're on TV. And I was like, huh? And I was like, well, I don't know what my job will be after this. So I have to figure this the fuck out. Um, So the, the dead parent jokes didn't go over well, but do you remember the first joke that you told that really did go well, that really connected with the crowd? Yeah. So I borrowed a little bit from Monique um, because I do think it's okay to borrow, not like a joke, like not an actual joke, but just like the idea of it was borrowed. So she had done this interview. Oh God. I think it, I don't, maybe it was like Marie Claire. It was like the Queens of comedy. And she was talking about putting, um, a, a strawberry in your pussy and letting someone eat you out. So I was like, you ever put a Snickers around your pussy and really let anyone eat you out. And then I can't remember the, but I added on to it and I can't remember the back end of it was something about like peanuts and nougat in your pussy. Uh, and that hit very, very hard. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's a speaking- joke I won't tell anymore because it like, I truly took the yeah, structure the premise, yeah. from something I read. Um, but yeah, like that hit very hard. You never heard from Monique about that? No, she never got, she never contacted me. That's good. But if she ever did, I'd be like, yes, I openly admit I borrowed it. In the beginning, I was like, I don't really understand joke structure, and I don't know how I tell jokes. Um, yeah. Speaking of Monique, I was looking at your IMDb, and one of your earliest TV roles is Monique Lookalike on 30 Rock, which I have to admit, I don't remember that episode. But uh, I'm in what- the tag, so if you blink, you'll miss me. It's like, <laughs> as the credits are rolling, I'm playing a, a Monique Lookalike, uh, hosting at the Apollo, and Liz Lemon is doing a performance. And yeah, it was... Very was, cool. Like, yeah. What was the experience of of doing that? Uh, it was one of the first auditions that I went to, where I like immediately called my manager at the time and was like, "Hey, 
if they don't book me, they're going to go with somebody older. But like, this is like, they're going to book me. And he's like, I don't know. I wouldn't get ahead of yourself. And I was like, I'm already on set. (laughs) Because it went (laughs) so well or why? Yeah, I fucking killed it. Like I really, (laughs) I used to do a Monique impression uh, when I was doing impressions. Um, So I just did my Monique impression with the lines. Um, And then, yeah, I booked it. And then I was on set and it was one of the first, no, I think it was like the first like actual set I'd been on. It, I mean, it was the first television show I'd ever been on. And uh, Tina Fey was like so nice. I got my hair done next to her and that was wild. I was like, I can't believe I'm sitting next to Tina fucking Fey. Her kid was there and was like so adorable. Um, she was very nice to me. And then they let me improvise a bunch, which is insane because it's the tag. So like it's like thirty seconds. It's like a finite amount of time. You're you, not going to you use gave them a the lot improv. of material. Yeah, I improvised a lot, and Tina was like, "That was funny." And she, I can't remember, she said something else that I was like, oh "My God, Tina Fey thinks I'm funny." So it was like honestly best case experience for acting because like it could have been a disaster. It could have been very bad. This next lady is from Whitehaven, Pennsylvania. Okay, please welcome to the stage, Lemonade. <laughs> Whitehaven, PA, Apollo Theater, come together. Have you ever thought about the women of the world? Teen moms, grandmas, even little girls. We oh, oh, oh. said you did impressions. What other impressions did you do? Cookie Monster. Let's see, Monique, <laughs> Cookie Monster, Emma Stone, Oprah. Oh, God. I'm trying to, like, remember my SNL reel. <laughs> oh, Wendy Williams. Not Whoopi Goldberg? Not Whoopi Goldberg. I think I did Loretta Devine. Yeah, that's that's the only. No, I revere Whoopi too much. So <laughs> yeah. whenever, like, I when I was on Drag Race, I told the girls I was on an episode of Snatch Game. I was like, you cannot Im- impersonate someone you revere, because then you're like, I'm making fun of this person I love, and you're not going to want to do that. And you do have to figure out something to make fun of when you're doing an impression that's comedic. So yeah, I don't do Whoopi. Yeah, that was that's like that was the big SNL impression because they would always do the View, and then there was like six different people played Whoopi over the years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, including Keenan. What do you remember about your late night stand up debut? What what show was it on, and and what how did it go? I've never done stand up on late. You've night. never done stand up on late night. Wow, you've done panel a lot because I saw. Yes. I know you've been on a lot of late night shows. Yeah, I've done Conan. I've done Seth Meyers, and then I think I've done Kimmel, and I think. I think, yeah, because I haven't done Fallon. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. and I did Col- Col- uh, Colbert. Yeah. It's funny. Like, yeah, you, you kind of skipped the uh, the stand-up. Because usually it's like people do stand-up first and then they move to becoming a panel guest. But you went straight mm-hmm. to being a, a panel guest. Yeah. Um, I think it's because I'm not solely known as a stand-up. I have, like, things to promote as opposed to, like, just doing stand-up and then being like, bye-bye. Um, I did try to do to get a late-night spot, yeah, it just never came to fruition. Well, in that case, what do you remember about your first appearance on Conan? Because I know you've done that show a lot, and obviously he just ended his very long run, and that got a lot of uh, you know people remembering those experiences. And you've had incredible appearances on that show that I've seen. So, what was the what was the first one, and what do you remember about it? I was so nervous. It was one of those like I don't usually have like imposter syndrome, but I was really like, why why is he interviewing me? Like, this is crazy. What, were you promoting something? I think I was promoting Lucy exactly Nicole and maybe nailed it. I think, I, I don't like remember. It would have been before nailed it, but I don't know. 
It's hard to remember any sort of <laughs> timeline. Um, but I was nervous. I brought my two friends, Marcy and Madeline, and truly just like pacing in the room. And I was just like, I don't know. What if I'm not funny? And you do your pre-interview with a um, producer like a couple days before. So I, I asked for a printout. I was like going over the printout to be like, what, a, what, cause it's, like standups will so like during the pre-interview with the standup they'll be like what do you have any jokes that you want to do and i was like what no i don't know <laughs> you're like i and thought I, we were just gonna talk yeah and i didn't realize it was like oh he can ask you a question that can set you up for a joke right that's or kind like of the, whatever the deal yeah and i was like oh okay and then when i talk i just talk so i was very grateful that that producer wrote cu a couple of the jokes i had said and i was like oh okay i'll, I'll do that one okay so yeah just nervous and then it went well. I, um, he was like, you're very funny. He's like, your, de your delivery is great. And I was like, Oh, thank you. He's like, anytime you want to come back, you can come back. And I was like, wow, thank you. And he came to the dressing room and like gave me a hug and was like, you're so funny. And he just made me feel like, um, not an equal, but like a person that was like worthy of attention or like, uh, like, you know, like a person, you know, cause sometimes people who are very successful will make you feel less than a person, but it was the opposite. Are you very it. open about what it is you're looking for when you're on social media? Yes, my profile picture has me holding like a like a foot long dildo. <laughs> so I'm just like, <laughs> you know, be upfront with what yes. you want. Yes. Women, are, we just we don't tell people what we want. We're too right. quiet. We need to be like, give it to me. Right. <laughs> I'm right with you. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I don't know what happened. You and Conan have a great dynamic too on that show where he, you just seem to make him very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's um, funny because that's what people say. They're like, you make him so uncomfortable. And I was like, yes, but also comedy's about juxtaposition. Yes. <laughs> so it's like he's playing up being uncomfortable. Also, who's good at that? Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey's a master at like framing an unusual thing, highlighting it, and, like, really running with it. I love Steve Harvey. I got to be on his show, and that was incredible. <laughs> I love him. Finally, what is the last piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard? Um, if there's something you want to shout out, maybe a comedian you've seen on the road or uh, something you saw on TV or really anything that comes to mind. Oh, boy. My friend Christy Cello who's a stand-up in New York. She opens for me. She makes me laugh so hard. I don't want to tell any of her jokes because, you know, I don't want to do her a disservice. But she's got a couple bangers that make me laugh so hard. My friend Mateo Lane, who's also in New York. Yeah, he's my great. God, he makes me laugh so hard. I laughed so hard that I cried. Oh, God, what was he telling me? I don't remember, but he truly, like, he routinely makes me laugh so hard that I cried. We were on a podcast, and I laughed so hard that I cried because I, like, told him a story, and he, like, dissected the story as to, like, how I made so many mistakes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. Oh, no. Um, yeah, he makes me laugh. Oh, God. Sydney Washington, who's also in New York. I guess I love New York comics. She makes me laugh so hard. Uh, my friend... Okay, so I'm literally just recanting like everybody who was on the lineup of this show that I did in New York at this place called Ample Hills Creamery. Uh, we did it on the roof. Uh, my friend Josh Sharp. Yeah, I was like, that's an ice cream shop. How'd you do yeah, it in there? But it's uh, <laughs> it right on the, on the roof. My friend works there. He makes me laugh. He 
what did he say? Oh, I, again, I don't want to give away his punchline, but he calls a group of gays something that made me laugh so hard. <laughs> yeah, those people, they make me laugh. They make me tee-hee-hee. Well, thank you so much for doing this and good luck with the Emmys. Are you actually, do you know, are you actually going to be able to go in person and do the whole thing? Or is I it, uh... think so. I'm I feel like a, we've reached out to my stylist to have a dress made. So I believe I'm going to be going somewhere in person. Uh, I've asked Sashir to be my plus one because oh, I'm amazing. famously single. Uh, <laughs> well, that'll be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Um, well, congratulations on everything and, uh, thank and, you. and good luck. And yeah, this was really a lot of fun. So thank you so much thank for coming you. on. And again, I apologize for being a late person. No, no problem. Well, thank you for doing it on a Sunday morning, which I know. Oh, is, yeah, no problem. Be, thank you for making it. Can't be time. ideal, but, um, but yeah, it's great. Cool. I'm glad we did it. Thank you. Okay, thank you again to Nicole Byer for such a fun conversation. You can stream her new stand-up special, BBW, on Netflix right now, along with all six seasons of Nailed It. And catch her new sitcom, Grand Crew, on NBC, Tuesdays at 8.30pm, starting January 4th. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at LastLaughPod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by ACAST for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.